As you've been hearing on the news, the death toll from toxic drugs in this province continues to rise. And this also on the first full day of the decriminalization of small amounts of illicit drugs. Joining us to talk more about this is BC's Chief Coroner, Lisa Lapointe. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's such an important topic. It is, and certainly the numbers today continue to paint a very grim picture. When we look at the number of British Columbians' lives lost, where are we now as far as the numbers that you have been able to compile? Your office has compiled taking a look at 2022. So we know that in 2022, we lost 2,272 people in our province to illicit drug toxicity. Uh, And we we now know that in 2021, there were... um, additional testing that came in. We lost 23, over just over 2,300 people last year. So we are still continuing to lose across BC and communities big and small, six people every day of every week of every month to the toxic drug crisis. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to find anybody in this province who, has, who doesn't know somebody who has died as a result of the toxic drug supply. And when we talk about that number and not that one death is worse than another or, or, or should be treated differently than another, but are you seeing anything change with who is dying or where people are dying from toxic drugs? So we know um, that the downtown east side, of course, is an area where many vulnerable people live and that they have a very high death rate there, um, a little over 300 in that um, local um, uh, health neighborhood. But 1,900 people are dying elsewhere in the province. So we, we are seeing high rates of death in small communities. Uh, certainly the highest rate of death in the province is in the north. Uh, the interior uh, is next in terms of death rates. But we're seeing communities big and small. We are actually seeing that the age of those dying is, is trending upwards. So uh, people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s most at risk, still primarily men, um, in the general population, uh, men represent about 79% of those who die. And, um, and, and contrary to, I think, what, what people often think, um, these are people dying at home. These are people with jobs who um, are dying in their own uh, private residences and, um, and are, of course, you know, there's nobody there to help when they experience a toxic drug event and they're found by family or friends. I, looking at the numbers released today as well, there was one reported death that took place at an overdose preven- prevention site in 2022. Is is that the first time we've seen a death at a, a specific prevention site? It is, yeah. That, that's a great question. <clears throat> then, um, so that, that was uh, within the last few months. We had a death reported at a overdose prevention site, and that is the first. In the last, well, seven, eight, well, as many years as we've been keeping this data, which is pretty remarkable given the tens of thousands of visits those sites see across the province. And I think really what that speaks to is the toxicity of the drug supply, that people um, are, are experiencing a tro- toxic drug event. Of course, in those sites, the medical supports are there, and the naloxone is there, and we, and we hear from paramedics and others that um, sometimes they are not able to reverse a toxic drug event these days um, with, with the additives of the benzodiazepines, um, six, seven, eight doses of naloxone, and it's not effective. So it's, it's probably, you know, really 
we've been very, very fortunate that we've not seen a death in, in an overdose prevention site. And I, you know, hopefully we won't see any more, but the toxic drug supply is just making this so, so difficult to manage. Is that concerning, though, with that recorded death that, like you said, those supports are there and and that's the reason why we've not seen deaths at these sites, that if the drugs are becoming so toxic or I don't know if there were other circumstances there, but so toxic that even with all of those resources available, this person still lost their life? Yeah, you're right, Jill. I mean, incredibly concerning. And that's what we've seen in this crisis is it was fentanyl and then call fentanyl. Uh, we've seen extreme levels of fentanyl. We've seen atizolam, which is the, the benzodiazepine. We're seeing all sorts of things show up in the illicit drug supply because, as you know, it's unregulated. It's a profit-driven market. And uh, people are subject to, vulnerable to, whatever is in the substance that they think they've purchased. And we know some people have died thinking that they had purchased cocaine. And in fact, uh, they died because there was fentanyl in it. And they're, they're not opioid users, so they're, they're opioid naive. So that is a huge challenge with the um, illicit drug market in that uh, we don't know what's in it. Uh, there are some drug testing sites, certainly not enough. And, uh, and people are using, and it's, they go to the step of going to an overdose prevention site and, uh, you know, because that is where healthcare is if they get into trouble and they're still dying. That is, that is terrifying because that potentially creates a whole new wave of challenge that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, we are talking about these numbers and looking at these numbers uh, also on the day that decriminalization has taken place in BC as part uh, of this pilot project uh, and uh, with 2.5 grams of those uh, specific drugs now being uh, allowed to, to be on somebody uh, with the decriminalization. What are your thoughts on that as far as a tool? Yeah, I think it's a critical tool because we know that people have been marginalized and uh, stigmatized and arresting somebody and punishing somebody uh, because they are experiencing a healthcare issue has been counterproductive. And we've seen that. We've seen that in the thousands of deaths, the over 11,000 deaths just since this public health emergency was declared. So it's a really, really important step to recognize people need support to wellness. They, uh, they need healthcare. They need access to the medications that they need that are regulated and that are safe. Um, so it's critical. But, of course, in the current uh, market, uh, people don't have access to regulated medication. So even though they are um, lawfully permitted to carry up to 2.5 grams of those substances, um, cumulatively, um, they may be toxic. And when they use that substance, they still may die. Um, so it's, it's a critical step in, in recognizing this as a health issue and not a law enforcement issue. Um, and now we need to make sure we implement those additional steps, which is um, reducing the risk uh, with the current unregulated drug market. And then having uh, supports available, treatment and recovery services when and where people need them. And those aren't currently available either. Because in talking to and even hearing from Vancouver police yesterday, they again repeated the fact that there's kind of been a de facto decriminalization, at least in the city of Vancouver, where we are seeing a lot of the deaths in that they're not charging people and not arresting people for those amounts of drugs. So how does that actually change anything? Yeah, so a couple of things. They weren't uh, in, in the city of Vancouver and in some other municipalities, and it really depended on where you were in the province. They weren't 
normally arresting somebody for possession. Oh, they always they, they had the discretion; they could if they thought it was uh, important. So you've got some um, uh, inequity even in the even in that decision right there. Um, but what they were doing was taking the drugs, and so if somebody had purchased their drugs, had used some, they were safe. They knew their supply was safe, or had had them tested at a drug checking site, knew they were safe. If the police took those away, they're not going to not use. They go back to the well, and maybe this time the the, the substance that they purchase is going to kill them. So it's a, a means of uh, a recognizing, A, we're not going to criminalize people. We're not going to punish people. Hopefully people will feel more confident going to a drug checking site. They're not going to be arrested on the way or have their substance taken away from them. And, um, and people will be able to use a substance that um, hopefully they can get tested and know is safe. And they won't be going back to the well over and over and over because the less uh, exposure they have to that illicit drug market, um, hopefully, the more safe that they will be. But it is still an illicit drug market, and it is still unregulated and very toxic. Right, and, and that kind of gets to the, the idea of, of safe supply, because we are still talking about the same supply that has been decriminalized. Um, you mentioned treatment as well, and, and focusing on that and making sure there is treatment available for people. Uh, do you think we are doing enough of that? And, and to use an example, and not that they're the same thing at all, but if to use an example of alcohol, under the new rules with decriminalization, so it is no longer a criminal offense to have the small amounts of illicit drugs for people 18 or above. So that would mean right now somebody who is 18 and caught with a beer would technically be breaking a law, but somebody who is 18 and caught with crack cocaine wouldn't be. Doesn't that seem a little bit misguided? I think the reason for that is is because of the Federal Controlled Drugs and Substances Act um, um, uh, applies for, for those 18 and over. So I think that was really a technicality of the law as opposed to... Um, the approach you're taking, what what makes more sense. Um, in terms of youth, they are equally at risk of dying, and they are equally at risk if they are hiding their drug use and if they are afraid to divulge to their family or caregivers that they are using drugs. Um, you know, a safe, a safe supply and reducing stigma for every drug user is, is really what this is geared for. It's not about encouraging people to use drugs, any drugs, any substances. We don't encourage people to use alcohol either or, or cigarettes or, or, you know, too much coffee or too many sweets. There's all sorts of substances that are, that are quite dangerous. But this is about saying if people are, people who are using, people who are at risk of dying, we want to reduce the stigma. We want to uh, ensure that people uh, can access treatments and feel safe to um, to access treatments. And, and then hopefully, you know, in reference to safer supply, at some point we'll be able to connect them to a safer supply or, um, or, a, or a treatment. And just one other point on that, when we talk about removing the stigma, and you mentioned those other uh, kind of, I guess, vices, for lack of a better word, or, or addictions that people have, but there is still, there is a stigma to being an alcoholic, there's certainly a stigma to drinking and driving, there's stigma to smoking, uh, those things do have stigma, and, and they're often used in, in a way to, to, to try and convince people to, to maybe stop that behavior. Uh, so is, is not a little bit of stigma okay in that it, it it is something, it's a behavior that ultimately we're, we're trying to stop, aren't we? 
Yeah, it's certainly about encouraging people to be healthy. It's about encouraging people not to do the things that put them at risk of greater harm. Uh, and then really, it's, it's how we do that. Do we punish and marginalize or do we recognize that um, you have a health problem and uh, there are ways and means that we can help you? And about regulation, so that, you know, you can't smoke wherever you want to smoke. And, you're, you know, you, you, well, there are many more places you can drink now than you used to. Um, and that, you know, that, that's my age. But it's, you can't be uh, intoxicated and creating a disturbance because that, that's something that you're going to be is going to be frowned upon and there will be a consequence you can't drive while intoxicated there will be a consequence so it's not about no consequences or no regulation but it's about recognizing what is the approach are we going to use the health focused um, um, regulated approach uh, versus the criminalizing stigmatizing approach and and the former uh, is, is is going to be much healthier for people and much better. If we take people who are vulnerable and who are using substances, people come to substance use for a variety of reasons. We know that. And, um, and then we further harm them. How, how is that going to help them? Um, they lose their jobs or they, you know, they lose their children. They lose their community. They, it's just so counterproductive in terms of helping people to be productive healthy citizens. Um, and I think that's what this decriminalization reflects, is that punishing has not worked. There is a better way to, to support people to wellness. All right. Chief Coroner Lisa Lapointe, as always, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about this today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.